0: Hello and welcome to Chic, a podcast dedicated to fashion, design, culture, sustainability, media and technology. My name is Kat Sark. I'm the founder of the Canadian Fashion Scholars Network and currently teach at the University of Southern Denmark. I specialize in fashion studies, cultural studies, media studies and gender studies, and I'm the co-author of several books on cities and fashion in the Urban Chic book series published by Intellect Press. In each episode, I sit down with experts and specialists in the fields of fashion and design to discuss the most pressing issues of ethics, sustainability and innovation, as well as what they consider the cutting edge of research and development. The goal is to bridge academic and non-academic expertise from industry, artists, curators, designers, professionals and the general public. On fashion and design cultures, innovation, sustainability, media and technology through interviews and panel discussions in order to stimulate an informed public discourse on the future of the most impactful culture industries. The seventh episode was recorded on a trip to Herning, the textile hub in central Jutland in Denmark. Together with some of my students from my fashion theory and fashion history courses at SDU, we got a special tour of the Textile Museum in Herning. That same day, we also got to see the VIA Design School with the -the state-of-the-art textile, fashion, graphic, and furniture design labs, talk to some of the teachers and students there, and watch some of their design pieces come into being. We then made a stopover at the sewing lab in the nearby town of Ekest, one of the few remaining sewing facilities still operating in Denmark, and producing custom orders for big and small Danish and international brands, working on new prototypes, renting out workspace and equipment to start-up designers, and collaborating with the local textile suppliers in the area. First, you will hear the conversation recorded on the way to Herning with my fashion studies students, Michelle, Isabella and Josephine, about what we know of the Danish textile industry and what we hope to learn more about throughout the trip. Then you will hear the recording of our tour at the textile museum in Herning with the lovely bilingual tour guide Bettina, who worked in the textile industry since 1984 and finally we conclude with another conversation in the car on our way back from herning reflecting on what we all learned about the danish textile industry so we're here on the way to herning where we left calling this morning where sdu campus is and i'm here in the car with uh, Michelle, Isabella and Josephine. And we're driving in Josephine's mom's car. So a shout out to Josephine's mom, thank you for lending us the car to learn about fashion in uh, Denmark. (laughs) (laughs) And I wanted to ask you guys, so what do we know about the textile industry in Herning? Do you want to start, Michelle? Yeah, sure.
1: What I know is that it definitely had an impact on the whole Jutland. It was a very industrial um, area, so I guess um, the fashion industry definitely um, had its impacts, and still can be seen somewhere and the industrial movement in Jutland
0: so I guess we're gonna find out we're going to the textile museum today we're gonna check out via design school and we're gonna check out the lifestyle and design Cluster sewing lab for um, I believe for new companies and startups who get to use a communal space for making clothes so Isabella what do you think um, we're gonna find out today at any of those places okay so we're gonna
2: start at VIA where we get a tour from uh, one of the teachers there called Saran and he's gonna show us like how is the everyday at VIA and uh, maybe we can learn some things from the students there and uh, get inspired by their way of uh, looking at the,
0: the fashion aspect okay so um, Josephine what what are your expectations for today
3: what the Danish uh idea of the area is is that um, it still is a mecca from education or in educating people in the fashion industry but more on a hands-on field so it's not as um, theoretical it's more how you construct and it's more about how the production works and how they could change production more than a branding industry and so on uh, and they are one of the um, leading areas in educating people in furs so both in uh, like in leather skin and in fur sewing they are one of the only places in Denmark where you can actually get educated in, in Um so that is what I know and I know they have uh, classes where you can get to understand the chemical uh, aspect of changing and DIYing your clothing and that is what I'm looking forward to to ask and, and get a little bit more um, enlightened in this area on topic yeah.
0: yeah great thank you guys so w- from what I've read and what I know about the Danish fashion industry um, Jutland used to be the hub or the center for producing not just textiles but manufacturing clothing for all of Denmark and then exporting it and of course that was outsourced and kind of put the industry to sleep a little bit um, once globalization started taking jobs away as everywhere else in the world but um, we're gonna find out today what has replaced it or what kind of new creative um, things are being produced here and what the history is like, so hopefully get a nice overview throughout the day of what this area used to mean for the Danish fashion industry and then what it means today.
4: Uh, My name is Bettina, I'm an engineer originally originally, and a textile uh, technician and I've been in the industry for about 25 years. Now, I've ended up in a museum. <laughs> the building we are in is a textile factory that dates back to 1876. It started out as a spinning mill, wool spinning, and it ended up being a, Yeah, what would the English term be? A fabric. A fabric factory. <laughs> Wolf. And from 1990, uh, the production shut down here. And uh, over time, the museum was built up. Textiles in this area of Denmark for at least 500 years. The first registrations of sheep and wool and hand knitting and the like is about 500 years old. Probably it's been there way before that, but we don't have any written sources before that. But as long as there's been people in Denmark There's been textiles as well. (laughs) Um, This exhibition deals with the last about 70, 80 years. So the more recent part of the textile history of the area. Right here where we are standing, you can actually see that we have tried in the museum to connect old and new in the way that... The building is exactly like a textile mill have looked for for hundreds of years with light coming in from the top, because you need to have a very good vision on all the small, small details when you are producing textiles. So light is needed. But then you have all these uh, threads connecting the exhibition. These threads are one of the newer inventions in textiles. It's based on sugar cane, okay. And the walls here is produced in this yarn. If you feel the yarn, you'll feel that it has sort of a, a plastic feeling. It's not really suitable for clothes, but it's very good for wallpaper like this. You can scratch it. So it's used in airports and hotels and places like that. Where you need something that is really uh, durable and stable and so on.
3: Yeah? Does it take the sound away from areas like, for example, isolating the. Yeah,
4: the it has a, a yeah, sound echo? isolating uh, effect as well mm-hmm. because it is a soft material. But that also depends a lot on what is just behind it, mm-hmm. what material is behind the textile. The where well, we enter the first part of this 70, 80 year mm-hmm. exhibition. The exhibition is called "Made in Midula" because "made in" is this term that we all know from the labels in our in our clothes. After the Second World War, and there was a great need for, yeah, underwear, socks, clothing, all these kinds of things, as uh, the daily life came started to come. Hanning, Ikest, Hammerum, this area here became the central part for textiles in Denmark. And why? Well, for one, there was a lot of cheap labor here. The, the, the ground, the soil here is not very good. So a lot were farmers, but did not have very good lives. So it was very tempting for young people to move away from the farm life with really low wages and go into the textile industry. And for the ones that had maybe a little bit of saving, that eventually they thought they would buy a farm for. Now they could buy a knitting machine or sewing machine and get started. So that's what happened. And that's why at that time already in Copenhagen and Aarhus and Aalborg, the wages were higher. But here in Midtjylland, it was farmland and it was cheap labor. So that was the basis for it. Hammerum, Herning, Ikast. Three small towns in the mid 1900s. These are some numbers that says how many factories, here, number of factories relative to inhabitants in 1960. So for instance, you can take Henning. There were 230 factories. And what most people started with was the easier stuff, like very simple underwear, nightwear, things like that. In knitted fabrics. Uh, knitting is t-shirts, underwear, it has a little bit of stretch in it, and the y- yarn goes like this. Simpler machinery, it doesn't take a lot of, of knowledge to make. It's easier to stretch it a little bit if when you sew it and you know it's not quite a line, you just stretch it a little bit. So it doesn't take so many competences. Whereas weaving, there's yarn going this way and yarn going this way, and it takes more knowledge and more yarn and more investment and everything so it was knitting and it was the simpler types of knitting problem there were no not much colors not much branding not much fancy labels advertising things like that we have actually two christians one here and one further over there mm-hmm. and they're going to demonstrate a couple of the typical machines from the time Christian used to work in a knitting factory speaks not so much English, I think. No. <laughs> <laughs> so some went from this level, a shed in the backyard at their house with hands and stuff, to industrial buildings, a three-story buildings like this. These are important too. These are folk gardens, but they were used for taking for instance, the, uh, the pieces produced on this machine take them out to home sewers, home seamstresses, I think mm. they're called, um, so that they could finish it up and bring them back into the factories the, ne- the next morning. Some of the, um, the people that were already trained in textiles, for instance, came from the bigger towns like Aarhus, Copenhagen and Oldborg, Odense as well where they traditionally had been textiles for for many years. In the sixties, every day about two persons moved into this area to work in the textile industry. So that that was the speed of development. And that also meant that we were short of everything here. There were too few flats. There were too few buildings for factories and so on. So it was not only the textile industry that was booming, it was town as such. We needed more hairdressers, we needed more people that could teach people to drive a car and so on. So that's why boomtown is really a a good term for, for this time period. Women started to work in factories as well. Uh, in the 50s, in the 60s, there were no kindergartens. There were no, there were no setup for women not being in the room. Because that was not a tradition here in Denmark. A lot of the women would not go into the factories to work, but they would have a sewing machine like this one in their kitchen or in their living room. And they would have fa- fabric brought out from the factory that they would then sew that day and have it picked up again the next morning. Working in that way, uh, working in that way, they didn't have to have somebody take care of the kids. They could still cook. They could do all the things that women had traditionally always done. But what often happened was that they would, be so busy during the day, looking after the kids, cooking, shopping, whatever a, a, home, a, a home working mom does, that they were so new. So it, was, it became quite a stressful life, actually, because they were still full-time mom and housekeeper and everything, but also had a job, and it was quite lonely. Maybe they would, you know, meet up with the woman next door for coffee five minutes during the day somewhere. But they didn't have the, uh, the social part that we nowadays see as an important part of, of having a job or going to school or whatever. They were quite, quite lonely like that. Starting from scratch with all these small factories and starting in the rooms that were available and starting with people that have never been in textiles before but had, for instance, been farmers. The thing was that the production was really, really slow. In the uh, mid-40s, a Danish factory would produce one T-shirt when an American factory that had not been hidden by the wall and had a longer textile tradition, they would need three or four. So everything was just really slow. In 1947, the Marshall Plan was uh, made by the US, and the Marshall Plan was intending to help Europe get back on track. It was also developed to... um, to avoid communism from entering more into Europe. So it was an American initiative. And one of the things that the Marshall Plan did was to allow um, people that started factories to get cheap loans to buy machinery. But in its days, this was a textile factory. Mm -hmm. They made shirts for men it's called and the, the principle was that the goods would come in I forgot now which end but let's say the goods came in at this end and then they were cut and sewn and checked and packed and ready to leave at this end so it was sort of a flow factory Yeah. so everything was just moving in one direction and that was from from American inspiration but what happens in the mid late eighties was that the Berlin wall came down in 1989 and Eastern Europe opened up. That meant that cheap labor competition came in from an area quite close to us. We're not very far from Poland here, from Lithuania. So cheap labor started to compete with textile production in England. In 1990, a Danish hour of sewing cost around 80 kroner. In in Lithuania, one hour cost at that time less than one kroner. So that was a terrible competition. Um, So, a lot of factories, saw that too late and their market went down and they had to close and so on. You you probably know the story. I was was, uh, educated in the textile industry in, in 84. And 1984 was the year where the textile industry educated and had most young people at all. It went up like this to 84 and then it went down like this from 84 and and onwards. So my timing was really bad. I've never experienced things going in this direction. i only experienced the industry struggling, I have to say. But the struggling also meant that we had to find new ways. The, The people owning the factories that wanted to stay in business, they had to find new ways. They couldn't compete on just white cotton underwear with that price difference in, in labor. So the exhibition we're moving into now show examples of so what did they do? Some focused on branding, developed a brand and an image and could take good prices because of that. Some focused on being good at producing. Not in Denmark as so much because that was hopeless. <laughs> but to move elsewhere and be good at running production and quality and logistics and, and sell to others that were good at branding. Others developed special products that nobody else could make, like Ear Teber, that made these carpets for really high quality with labels, no, not labels, um, logos and stuff on them. So this part of the exhibition has to do with this whole moving out of the text, moving out in the world, but also how to develop
0: new strategies. Okay, so we're back in the car. Uh, We saw a lot today, spent a long day basically exploring Herning and the area around it and looked at um, different spaces where the textile industry um, existed for as we learned over 500 years and probably longer so um, I asked the girls to summarize what we saw today so here's Michelle again yeah. and so we went to a
1: sewing lab is one of the labs that are still existing and you can get produce a, like a whole piece of garment there and we saw like every um, production from where they design it and the cutting boards the different machines Um, and also different kind of fabrics and here like smaller startup brands can come in and either order prototypes or like um, order like a smaller collection if they want to start up Um, and they can also get help to um, create patterns and designs if they need help with that and they can rent um, a table and space for around 1,000 a month it was actually not that expensive Uh, Yeah, and that's Kroner, Danish Kroners, a month. And they also had a showroom if they needed, like, a private space for clients. There was uh, this uh, bridesmaid designer who actually uh, rented the showroom so she could, like, show off the dresses. Um, And, yeah, and also big brands like Hummel were also collaborating with the sewing lab. And you could actually see some of their um, work done, like their jumpers and samples that were ready to be shipped out and that was really interesting to see that actually there's still a sewing lab in Denmark where actually big brands like Hummel um, produces clothes so yeah, yeah I think um, that was it
0: well, the fact that you can still produce a whole garment in Denmark, that was really impressive and that there's still different brands who actually um, commission and, and hire the people who work at the at the sewing lab to mm-hmm. make either prototypes or smaller collections and yeah, um, experiment with uh, new sustainable fabrics and things like that. So that was really yeah, cool to see. And actually, side
1: note, we also stayed, uh, saw the Danish brand Lyolé, who uh, based in Aarhus. Based in Aarhus, yeah. Uh, we actually saw some of the product samples that were uh, ready to be shipped out and they were actually made of sustainable fabrics like uh, linen that's made, uh, made out of wood. And it was really fun to actually touch the fabric.
0: Yeah, we got to touch a lot of fabric today. <laughs> okay, and here's Josephine to tell us more about the VIA Design School and all
3: of their cool cool things that they have. yeah. So basically we started about uh, started with meeting CERN uh, who wanted to make or at least give us a tour around the building and set us into a little bit of the history about VIA and it uh, turned out that VIA was the old part of TECO which was a uh, textile um, confections uh, and how they are actually collaborating with both the old kind of industry uh, with this new fusion version of what the industry needs now. So branding and production and understanding of how everything could be upgraded and more innovative. So in general, we were starting off with a PowerPoint slide where he showed us the kind of lines and the kind of educations they have. They had a two and a half year of base study. And then you could later on apply for, I think one one or one and a half year of this um, top part to to get even more specialized in your field as a a designer with either furniture or with of course fabrics. Um, After that we went on a tour. Uh, These buildings we were met with fabric dyeing labs. We saw uh, textile um, destructions labs i would call it where they really test the fabrics and they see how much they can actually uh, sustain in in either uh, damage or pressure or stretching Um, and then we came through some areas where we both saw how many sewing machines they have and they had a, a weaving machine where they weave basically full clothing parts and just one, what I call a big fax machine. So it was like a big printer uh, where you just put in the program and put on the thread and then it p- like printed out your, your done piece of weaved garment. Was, it was really, really insanely cool. Um, and then we went on to these um, collaborations, uh, workstations where people in the last year of this education were sitting and designing, pattern making, uh, and basically trying to construct uh, either a one piece or a full coll- like collection that they wanna show off in competitions. Um, so we saw a little bit of their small workstations with mood boards all over and their fabrics with uh, stout, which is this uh, cheap fabric piece. Where you you create everything from from scratch and some had a, even the finished product hanging with a lot of the parts just need to be sewn together so it's it was really like seeing the industry and all these part making it together working together and getting a full picture of the understanding that it's not just knowing how to sew or knowing about how to brand it's really having a, a whole industry like a, a life circle of the yeah, and VIA is really taking its hands on that in so many directions. It was, it was really, really cool. Yeah. Okay. Thank
0: you. So did you guys have a favorite favorite part of what you saw today or what you learned today? Something that really stood out for you that you will tell your friends about? Well, actually, um,
1: I have seen them before, but I was really fascinated about the machines, uh, how they were producing clothes back then. It's just really fun to have to see. At the
0: textile museum? Yeah. The old machines? Yeah, Yeah. and also
1: in VIA because they had like different, um, they had like the whole process where they were testing clothes, producing it, print the labs. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so fascinating to see.
0: Yeah, like the the evolution of the industry, right? Like Mm. starting with the 1920s, like Mm. home wooden knitting machines to the industrial production and then kind of like the the state-of-the-art new stuff that Mm. the newest generation of students working with textiles are using for their projects. So yeah, that was really cool. How about you guys? Do you have your favorites for today? Yeah, I would
2: say that my favorite part is basically the same as Michelle's i found it really exciting to get an insight in the involvement of the hands-on process with the textiles and the knitting and to meet some of the people who actually have been in the industry for a long time because well our guide she has she was educated in the 80s but she also uh, introduced us to two elderly guys uh, who worked in the original fabrics um, Textile since industry. textile industries yeah since the 1964 I think it was um, so it was nice to see how they interacted with the machines and used and it yeah, really showed us how it worked back then and how fast the process was to just make a sock or mm-hmm. anything so yeah I think it was really exciting to, to witness
0: Yeah, and that they preserved a part of the museum um, to look like the factories used to look, and that that all the machines, the old machines, are still functional, and that people can actually come once a week and still use these machines, and that the members of the retired um, members of the old uh, textile industry are still using them today. So that was really cool. Yeah. How about you,
3: Josephine? What's the favorite highlight? I would say, of course, meeting. People, but also actually meeting the people nowadays I found it really interesting to see how humane it could be when you have smaller labs so in the sewing lab where they mm-hmm. collaborated and they worked with each other like like having a um, having a creative corner and actually could be able to live from that was something I didn't expect for the industry now because everything is so industri- industrialized so seeing that you can have Danish production with few, few, few uh, workers and how actually the machines hasn't changed that much. So it's not the the industrialized machines, it's how we treat people in the industry and that we have to stop making people into machines. And we are doing that with the Danish sewing lab. I found really, really good. And it was nice to hear them like, knowing each other's skills like you knew one of them knew english better and that is not a machinery knowledge it's like a like humane knowledge of each other they were like colleagues and that made me really really glad to see it's it's possible and i think that is one thing we also have to remember in this aspect of going sustainable is to make it more like like a yeah collaborative and make it like a little family or network yeah. not just a giant industry yeah. um, so that was that was one of the things i feel of being proud and happy to, to have seen firsthand because when you see the industry it's really often just like these hard working machines or these um big holes with two three hundred people and here was like small, small productions with big brands. And, and it made me proud. The, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. That was definitely a highlight for me as well. But I think I would have to say being able to touch the fabrics and to see everything <laughs> up close. Yeah. And Josephine scored us uh, some scraps of uh, tensile material. And we're just basically all learning and exploring about how f- how sustainable fabrics are made. And it was and yeah so just basically being able to see everything up close because um, we study fashion as a cultural and social phenomenon and so for us to be able to see the industry from the inside to talk to the people to see the machines to touch the fabrics that was a really really special experience At the end of each episode, I like to end with a few takeaways for listeners that sum up the main themes and points presented in the conversations. As it turns out, the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989 was not as happy for the textile workers and factories in Denmark as it was for other parts of Europe and the world. The Danish textile industry was transformed by the cheap labor markets in Eastern Europe, but was not completely extinguished. In fact, it forced local textile manufacturers to innovate and reconceptualize textile design and manufacturing practices to experiment more with technological innovations, sustainable fabrics, and push the creative boundaries on what textiles can do and be. The VIA Design School still produces highly skilled and specialized fashion, textile and furniture professionals who work closely with the local and international industries and help innovate Danish design. With about 1,100 students each year, they're one of the largest design schools in Denmark. Their state-of-the-art labs and facilities are truly impressive. The sewing lab in ECAST is a very impressive local creative space that integrated a small-scale traditional sewing factory into a creative design concept with shared working space for young designers and startup brands who can rent the space and equipment and produce small-scale collections in the very heart of the Danish textile industry, carrying on a 500-year tradition. So, while the traditional local textile manufacturing in Denmark may have been on the decline since the mid-1980s, The innovative, creative, and entrepreneurial spirit of the Danish textile and design industry is thriving and generating new energy and new creativity. That's it for the seventh episode of Chic Podcast. I'd like to thank my road trip buddies, Josephine, Isa, and Michelle. A big thank you to Soren for giving us a tour of VIA University College. A big thank you to Bettina Simonson, the director and CEO of Lifestyle and Design Cluster, and Lisa and her colleagues at the ECAST Sewing Lab. Another big thank you to Maya and Bettina at the Textile Museum in Herning for making the museum tour possible and for allowing me to record parts of the tour for educational purposes. And finally, a big thank you to the SDU Design and Communications Department and the Study Board for providing the support for students to experience the local textile industry firsthand. The music you hear is the second half of Chopin's Prelude in A Major, performed by my very talented friend Matteo Tansi. Thank you for listening. Please share the link to this episode on your social media channels. You can find me on Instagram under Canadian Fashion Scholars. And until next time...